I want to thank Christabel for reading that very, very long passage. Uh, 27 verses because we, we saw a need to know the, the whole story. It's one, one tidy little story. Now, today is BB and Roman Sunday, uh, and I, I wasn't sure uh, how many, uh, a ratio of how many joining us uh, would be younger. Uh, so, usually, usually we, for Enrollment Sunday, we tend to have a, a message that is a bit more specialized to the occasion. But we just celebrated Palm Sunday and Easter. We need to get back to our sermon series on the book of 2 Samuel. And so today's passage is about sin and the failure of King David. This is part of our sermon series. So I'm not preaching a message of uh, sin and failure only to BB because it's BB and Roman Sunday. No. Okay? So it's because of the sermon series. Uh, try not to be too graphic with the details or else the parents will have a lot of difficulty answering. But there are some things that are too important to skip over. And so these stories of human failure are very part of what the Bible teaches, uh, corrects and rebukes us through, right? So we, we trust God to speak to all of us today. Come, let us pray. Lord, wherever we are in our different faith, our different areas of maturity, our different levels of understanding, Lord, we pray that you speak to us all the same. Will you convict our hearts, help us to know with truth, with certainty, what you are saying to us through your word. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, back when I was still in school, uh, one of my worst subjects was art. Specifically, anything that involved any sort of painting. As long as painting was involved, uh, I was horrible at it. It didn't matter what sort of watercolour, what sort of uh, poster colour, what sort of art block I used, what kind of brush, didn't matter. My paintings always turned out horrible. Okay, not, not so bad that you can pass it off as abstract art uh, and people can say, wow, so profound. Uh. No, uh, it was bad enough that people look at it, they just say, oh, this is bad. Right? And I can be trying to paint a basket full of fruit uh, or a mountain range and it can look the same. Okay. But many times, my paint would be very thick and so I add more water. And then it's too watery and then I add more paint. And then it's too thick and add more water and eventually the paint will like leak and smear over the lines and mix with other colours. And just remembering it makes me very depressed. Lah. So I'm very glad that I don't need to do art anymore. Uh, if you know me, I don't have the steadiest hands in the world. I, I, I don't know if it's because Parkinson's disease runs in my family or because I drink too much coffee, uh, but my hands are not very steady. So... I will often make mistakes in my artwork. One time, we were supposed to do a portrait of uh, one of our classmates. So this girl, she was very brave, she volunteered. Uh, she sat there, very still, and all of us have to paint her. Lah. But I accidentally, in my work, towards, I was almost finishing what looked like, a little bit like human. Lah. Uh, I accidentally dripped paint on my portrait of her. 
and suddenly she had a very big and ugly mole on her nose. And back then, when you make a mistake in art, you can't just tap undo. <laughs> you can't just use an eraser, the eraser tool and just eh, clean line. Right? Like today with Illustrator or Photoshop, you had to fix the mistake with more paint. We couldn't use liquid paper in art class. Huh? So I didn't have the time to start all over again and the portrait counted towards my grade. So I tried to cover, tried to cover the mole with uh, skin tone paint, flesh colored paint, but that just turned her nose very brown. And then I tried to wash away the brown nose with a lot of water uh, so I can paint over it again properly, but then the paper became very wet and it smeared the, the paint beyond her nose into the white background, so eventually it looks like her nose is growing sideways. Huh? Then I tried using an art eraser, you know those art erasers to, to rub away the smear? It's not like pencil eraser, you don't just rub away the, the pencil lead. It erases by scrubbing the paper. Okay, and so the paper gets thinner and thinner, and so eventually there's this part in my artwork that looks like, you know, the, the paper is almost transparent, it's, it's so thin. And so each time, I tried to do something to cover up my initial mistake. It just got worse and worse and worse. In the end, I asked my teacher for help. And then she came over, she looked at it. She's like, I, uh. <laughs> she tried, tried to do something to help. Uh, she also couldn't fix it because it was such a mess. In the end, she made one exception for me. She went and got liquid paper and then she you know, helped me a bit. I thank God. I don't have to subject anybody to my art anymore. Uh, my wife, Jervian, uh, more than makes up for my lack of artistic ability uh, with her. Sir. So thank God I can leave all the art to her. But I sort of understand, after that experience, I sort of understand what David was going through in today's passage as he tried to cover up his mistake with more and more mistakes, making things worse and worse and worse. And so the takeaway message for today is that everyone makes mistakes that get worse the more we try to cover them up. And so if you forget everything or if you lose me uh, halfway through the message, just remember this one thing. Everyone makes mistakes that get worse the more we try to cover them up. Now the title of my message today is The Man After God's Own Heart. Because what I want us to remember throughout today's message is that this is who David is. He is the man after God's own heart. He is someone who loved God and built his life on wanting what God wanted. Even today, we remember him to be the man after God's own heart. Even after he went such a huge character failure. But we will examine how David was restored uh, from his sin next week, okay? Today, we focus on 2 Samuel chapter 11, as was read to us just now. Now, if you were here two Sundays ago, you might remember how David showed kindness to an Ammonite king, and the Ammonite king responded by humiliating his messengers, right? Shaved the, half the beard, cut the pants off at the buttocks, right? Very humiliating. This triggered a war between the Ammonites and the Israelites. Okay, so it is in the middle of this war that 2 Samuel chapter 11 takes place. 
Now, David was a great man and a great king, if not one of the greatest characters and, and kings in Israel's history. But as the saying goes, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Today, we read a very sad story. David, who is the great king of Israel, he does horrible things that seems completely out of character for him. It's so horrible that the historian who wrote First and Second Chronicles, if you read First and Second Chronicles, a lot of it is actually re- a repetition of what happens in First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, right? And the, the chronicler, the person who, who wrote this First and Second Chronicles, didn't even mention it. Didn't mention what David did as they recorded the events of David's reign as king. That's how horrible it was. They tried to re- just gloss over it and not mention it. But the writer of 2 Samuel does tell us of David's mistakes. It tells us about his sins against God in great detail. And so let's look at it. Let's walk through this sad snowball of sin. Okay, the sin got, that got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, at a time when kings go off to war, King David did not go off to war. Uh, this was during a period when Israel was very powerful. The Philistines were defeated. Israel was defeating all her enemies. And so it's possible that David was getting quite proud, uh, thinking that his army was so powerful he didn't even need to be there. Verse 2 tells us he got, this, uh, he got up from his bed in one evening. Maybe he woke up from a nap. Maybe he slept all day, we don't know. Whatever it was, it was likely he was not super busy doing kingly stuff, okay? He was free to walk around on his balcony. And he ended up being in a situation where he could be tempted. And we can get a clearer picture uh, of how David's failure of joining his troops for war is not a good thing. In, in verse 11, Uriah the Hittite says, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? And so that is something that David is, is uh, making an exception for himself. The rest of his troops, the rest of his army is out at war. He is chilling at home. Okay, so David not being with his troops during war was a result of him being idle. Now, being idle is not a sin that we talk about very often. Uh, but the Bible clearly teaches against being idle. Uh, I-D-L-E, uh, not I-D-O-L. Uh. So, Proverbs, for example, for Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied or, or richly supplied. And Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18 says, Through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hands, the house leaks. And so the idleness that the Bible teaches against is one that results in nothing being done that is worthy of time or effort. That means allowing time to pass uh, without any purpose, without any point, without any greater value. 
And so this means that we can be super busy on social media or playing games or spending all our time traveling or going to a casino and we can still be idle even though we are very, very, very busy. In today's modern world, there is no shortage of things to keep us busy. I, I can attest to this because when I go on holiday, sometimes it's like, oh, I finally have time to myself. I want to do this, 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 this. And then in the end, I come back from the holiday even more tired than before I left, right? Because there's just so many things that we can do to keep us busy. But being busy does not mean that we are not being idle. But not being idle also doesn't mean that we should be non-stop workaholics, okay? Because God did create us with a rhythm for rest and to recreate and to enjoy His creation. So not knowing how to rest, not knowing how to stop and rest and enjoy God's creation is also not good. Instead, we should try to avoid being in a situation where there is no good purpose for whatever it is that is keeping us occupied. We should keep ourselves busy with what is good, with God guiding our every step, without neglecting the downtimes and rest days to keep ourselves rested and refreshed by God. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 says, I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And so, idleness produces other evils. Sorry. Idleness produces other evils such as gossip and slander. It is the building block for many other sins. It leads to many other sins. And so this is probably what happened to David. So this is probably his first sin in this episode. It looks like a very small sin. Lazy a bit. Lah. Okay, don't, don't go and, and do what he should be doing at that point. But it is still sin. But even though it seems small, it didn't stop there. He got up, he walked around on the roof to, uh, of his palace, he saw a woman bathing. Uh, David's palace would have been the highest point of the whole city. And so I, I used to picture uh, this story as the woman bathing on the roof of her house. And so nobody can see her except for David. Uh, but now that I think about it, that doesn't seem very uh, likely. Uh, so for those trying to picture the scene, David wouldn't have looked through a bathroom window or anything like that because back then no plumbing. Uh, they don't bathe inside their house. Uh, what is likely is that David would have seen into a bathing area with walls around it, maybe hedges or, or trees or whatever. Uh, and he is much higher up, so he can see into this bathing area. And so anyway, he, he saw this woman bathing. He saw that she was beautiful. And then he sent someone to find out who she was. So after David's sin of being idle, David is now facing temptation when he sees the woman bathing. And 
if you, if you suddenly walked into a bathroom, you saw somebody <laughs> bathing or you saw somebody uh, doing their business, the lock was broken or something, immediately you will, oh, sorry, sorry, and you run away, right? Uh, but instead of running away, he didn't look away immediately. He didn't ask God for forgiveness. Uh, sorry, I accidentally saw somebody uh, go and do something else. Instead, he gives in to temptation. He takes the next step. He sends somebody to find out who she was. Again, still not a big deal. Go and find out who somebody is. That's not a big sin, right? But he is clearly heading in a certain direction. So David had a wrong desire already. And James uh, chapter 1, verse 14 to 15 tells us that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. And after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin, which leads to death. And so David had this wrong desire that was leading to temptation, which would lead to sin. And the person who David sent to gather info came back with an answer. The woman taking a bath was named Bathsheba. Very weird, lah. I don't know why she's named. Maybe baths are named after Bathsheba. But anyway, uh, David also finds out she's not just some random woman taking a bath. She is the wife of one of his top soldiers, one of his elite soldiers. So David has now discovered that this woman who caught his attention was someone who was already married. She is not available. As long as somebody is married, they are not available. And so even if the king had many wives during that time, which the Bible doesn't say is good, huh? it was not okay for even the king to just take somebody else's wife. And so if David tried to do anything with Bathsheba, it would be adultery for both of them. And that was wrong even for the king. But David takes the next step anyway. Verse 4 says that David sent messages to get her. Uh, the, the language is actually more that he, he took her, okay? Uh, and you think about the power and authority that comes with position and what implications are there. And so she came to him, he slept with her, she went back home. We don't know whether Bathsheba slept with David because she also wanted to commit adultery or because David was the king and she's afraid to say no. But David was very likely abusing his position as king on top of the adultery. So you see, there is this snowball of sin that has started from the small, small sin and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and gathering momentum. And it still doesn't stop. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, tells David. And David thought, you know, maybe he can hide his sin, you know, just uh, uh, take, take Bathsheba and then, okay, don't see her again. But you cannot hide a pregnancy. And because of the timing, uh, because of her purification and all that, uh, it is obvious, especially to the people who sent for Bathsheba, that David was the father of this baby. So David tried to cover up his sin. He immediately called Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from war. He sent him home to Bathsheba. He is hoping that Uriah will quickly go and sleep with his wife and make her, uh, make her, make everyone think that he made her pregnant. And so David tried to cover up his sin and deceive people about it, because penalty for adultery in in under the the law from Moses is death. 
Uriah, however, refused to go home. We saw earlier, he said, everybody's still at war. Uh, how can I abandon and go home and sleep with my wife? He didn't think it was right to go home and relax. And so David tried again. The next day, he tried to make him drunk, go home. But Uriah still didn't go home. So David's plan to, to pretend that Uriah was the father failed. And so he progressed to another plan. He sent instructions to Joab, his army commander, to command his troops in such a way that Uriah would end up being killed. Okay? And so this is basically an order for David, from David to murder Uriah, to make it look like an accident, make it look like it's just part of war, but this is an order from David to murder Uriah. And so now David didn't just give an order for murder, he also involved somebody else, Joab, in a murder plot, and Joab had to carry it out because the king said so. And so Joab carried out the plan, Uriah died, David quickly married Bathsheba so that the pregnancy won't look so suspicious. And so we can see this snowball, since that started small with idleness, growing, 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 eventually becoming murder. This is the man after God's own heart, a deceiver and a murderer. And if you've been through church school classes, you know that King David is usually seen as a hero, right? A good man, a brave man. It is hard to believe that this is that same man. How did this man after God's own heart become a man who covered up his adultery with murder? It began with the smaller sins that didn't seem like a very big deal. His sin of idleness put him in a situation where he could be tempted. His selfishness made him, uh, made him just go ahead and, and take the woman, uh, even though he knew that she was already married to someone else. And lastly, he was not sorry for what he had done. He tried to cover it up with deceit, which led to murder. And so what's sad about this story is that David's behavior was not very different from the rest of the kings during that time. Ancient kings had many wives, uh, they had many mistresses, they got whatever they wanted, whether it's right or wrong, because they had all the power in the kingdom. So, it's actually normal, okay? Normal for David to do what he had done compared to the other kings of the world. But David wasn't supposed to be a normal king of a normal kingdom. He was supposed to be the leader of God's people in God's nation. He was supposed to lead them to live differently from the rest of the world, to live in ways that were good and right in God's eyes, not just do what everyone else was doing. If you're following the story, there are many chances, many opportunities for David to turn away from the road of sin that he was on. There were many exits he could have taken. But with each decision he made to sin, even the small ones, he made his snowball of sin bigger and bigger. Which leads me to my second point. 
that sin is in all of us. David is considered one of the most righteous people in the Bible. Uh, even, and even though he is considered one of the most righteous, even for him, murder was not out of the question. David showed in, incredible faith and desire to please God even at a young age. He wrote about 75 psalms. Many of these were psalms of praise. And so this same David, with such a good track record, was capable of such horrible sin. So what does that tell us? It tells us that all are capable of sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And David basically says the same thing when he himself writes Psalm 14 in verse 3. He says, there is no one who does good, not even one. There's a very large number of famous people who seemed righteous but were later involved in scandals that showed that they lived with great sins in their lives. And there is a much larger number of people with similar sins, they've just not been exposed or caught. Or maybe they're not as famous. And this number grows larger each day. And so the lesson for us is that we can never take it for granted that we have reached a point where we are good enough and we can just relax. We can never take it for granted that, oh, I'm a good person, I'll never do something like that. And we can just let our guard down and relax. As God told Cain just before he committed the first recorded sin after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, some of us might find it hard to put ourselves in David's shoes. As uh, Christabel read the passage, or maybe as we were going through David's sins just now, you may have been shaking your head, all right? And thinking, yeah, the road fuller, this guy. How can? Supposed to be man after God's heart, should have known better. And I must confess that I felt like that at times as I prepared this message. But in chapter 12, which is the chapter immediately after chapter 11, today's passage, the prophet Nathan tells David about the story of a rich man that took away a beloved lamb from a poor man to be chopped up for dinner, okay? And David's anger burns against this rich man. And he discovers he is that man. And so our reaction is always to think of everybody else who is horrible and everyone else who needs fixing. We usually don't think about ourselves. But this story is a warning that if this can happen to David, it can happen to anyone. No one is immune to temptation and sin, and that includes me and you. Even though we are not kings like David, we can still end up facing the same type of temptations. For example, we can be idle with the time and ability that God gives us. And we go beyond God honouring rest and recreation, and we get addicted to things that are just killing and taking away all our time and energy. 
or we can be selfishly wanting to take things for ourselves even if they don't belong to us and they're not meant for us. Or we can abuse our power, maybe not over soldiers fighting for us, but we can be harsh and cruel to waiters who serve us or domestic helpers who tend to our house. Or we can try to cover up our sins and keep them hidden from everyone else instead of trying to own up to them. Or we can try to solve our problems by hurting others. Or we can also just don't do anything when we see something wrong. Remember, David is not the only one who does something wrong in this passage. Joab was also involved. He didn't speak up. He followed David's orders. And so the sad truth is that there is sin and evil in every human being since Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. And so even though most of us would not call ourselves evil, I'm sure we won't call our friends and family evil, but we all sin against God. We all have the capacity to sin. Maybe in ways that seem small to us, but as we saw just now, even the small ones can lead to very, very big and horrible ones. Now, each time I preach about sin, I need to be careful that we don't just leave this worship service feeling guilty, feeling bad about ourselves, feeling like, oh, fail again, fail, fail, fail. Because the Christian faith isn't just about knowing that we are sinners. That is an important part to know where we are in God's sight. But the Christian faith involves knowing that we are sinners who need the salvation that God can provide, that God can give us by believing in Jesus who paid the price for all our sins. And so that's why the gospel is good news. It is not just about the fact that we have failed or that we can fail. It is about the fact that even though we fail, even though we can fail, we still have this promise, this assurance that that is not the end, does not have to be the end of the story for us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins. He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise that God gives to everybody. When we admit to God how what we've done is wrong against Him and others, and we are truly sorry about it, He will forgive us. Not that He can forgive us. He might forgive us. Depends. He will forgive us. And then we don't have to feel bad or guilty about it anymore. So, if you have sins in your life that you have not yet dealt with, even the ones that you think are very small, I invite you to take this chance to tell God that you are sorry and that you don't want to make the same mistake again. In conclusion, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, Paul called David a man after God's own heart. Now, why does he do that even after knowing this huge failure in David's life? Why does Paul still refer to David as a man after God's own heart? Well, we will see that next week, but I give you a hint that even after all that, at the end, he was still faithfully following the Lord. At the end even after all that. And so today, I would like you to know 
everyone makes mistakes that get worse the more we try to cover them up. I'd like you to be forgiven and purified from all unrighteousness by confessing, admitting your sins, and repenting, turning away from them. And do deal with all sins, even the small ones. Don't allow them to grow out of control. Just a few questions for us to reflect upon and discuss uh, within our families or small groups. Firstly, what are some sin snowball patterns that you have noticed in your own experience? Some patterns that allow the small sins to become much bigger. What are some of these patterns that you've noticed? Second question, how does the gospel make a difference in how we respond to sins that we've already committed? How does the gospel make a difference to how we respond to sins that are already committed? And lastly, between you and God, so no need to uh, share with everybody and tell the whole world, but between you and God, what do you need to confess and receive forgiveness for? If you feel comfortable to share this with somebody in your small group or a close Christian friend, uh, you can do that so they can hold you accountable. But do seriously consider this. What do you need to confess and receive forgiveness for? Okay, I leave those questions with you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.